Let me tell you, I have gotten more pressure to release this episode than I have of any episode, period. More people talk to me about what I said last episode than they did about any other episode. And I guarantee you it's because I talked about Star Wars. They are not really interested in me. They're more interested in what I think about Star Wars and how I feel about Star Wars than my own little writing journey and how Star Wars has played a part in my little... Now, let me not say little. This kind of dream of mine that I have to release my own piece of writing and create a legacy for my own writing and be known forever for my own writing. They seem not to be interested in that. Star Wars seems to be, you know... The star. Excuse me, I'm drinking some coffee. And I think that's kind of dope. I think that kind of shows that I might be kind of spot on with that thing. Not that I was jumping out on a limb saying Star Wars is the greatest IP ever. With the with the with the with the biggest footprint on multiple industries in a way that we really don't see. Now, one of the things that I missed on, you know, I said, you know, nothing non-sci-fi really comes, can come close to even approaching that level of impact. You know, I've, you know, if, as good as Star Wars is, the sci-fi aspect to it plays a part, even though it's, it has a lot of Western elements to it. I don't, I, didn't th- I don't think something like that could work, non-sci-fi, which is something I brought up last time. And wow, people jumped on me for that one. I really got attacked over that because for some reason, people thought I I forgot about James Bond 007. And I absolutely did forget about it. (laughs) It really didn't come to mind when I was thinking of what I was thinking. But James Bond is one of those. And I'll tell you one of the reasons why James Bond probably wasn't on my mind when I was speaking about Star Wars. is because Star Wars has like... You know, Star Wars is in comics, is in cartoons, is in toys, is in... Star Wars used to be in McDonald's Happy Meals. As wonderful as 007 is and as much legs as 007 has, I think it just falls short of what Star Wars is. Now, 007 as an IP... To be honest, probably really is only really rivaled by Star Wars. I mean, 007 is what? Well, predates Star Wars for sure by maybe 15 years. If I'm not mistaken, I think the first 007 is 61. 61, 63, around there. So it certainly has a longevity thing to it. So yeah, so I was wrong on that one. And of course, Indiana Jones. But you know, Indiana Jones is hasn't had this amount of movies, you know, or like really been able to branch off into like kind of other iterations in the way Star Wars has. But those two are pretty close. Those two are pretty close. The odd thing is, you know, people brought up Fast and the Furious. I think I touched on it. And Fast and the Furious might be getting around to it. I'm interested to see what Fast and the Furious legacy is in 20 years. Because I'm on Netflix the other day and I see a Fast and the Furious cartoon. 
And I'm wondering, why is there a Fast and Furious cartoon? But it, it might. I'm interested to see what that is in 20 years. So moving on from there, I, I began to be bombarded with questions about how I feel about Mandalorian. Which Mandalorian is really the start of the genesis of the whole discussion in the last podcast, me you know, preparing for season two of Mandalorian and the feeling it created in me, the excitement it created in me to see season two of Mandalorian or actually see season one again. And also to even get excited about my own writing, like being motivated by like the energy I felt coming from the screen. And I think I was kind of right uh, about my pre-assessment of Mandalorian season two before I saw it. You know, the, the, the care with which they handle certain aspects of Star Wars is evident. I mean, by now, we all know Luke is there at the end, which I kind of saw coming maybe episode five. But wow, that, that was cool. I thought it was really dope. I mean, we all know, I don't know any Star Wars fan who doesn't love Luke. I mean, you may like Darth better because you just like bad guys. Who Darth really isn't a bad guy. Anakin's not really bad. He kind of, he has like a little run where he's kind of lost and then he finds his way back. You know, his son brings him back to the light. So, you know, they made sure not make, they, they, Lucas made sure to make Darth a sim sympathetic character. So we kind of still end up loving Darth anyway. You know, we're left with one villain <laughs> that's the ill part. There's really one villain in all of Star Wars, and he carries so much strength <laughs> and presence that we're okay having one villain in a world this vast, which I think is one of the major errors of the show, of the, the IP. But I think Favreau kind of sees those kind of mistakes, and he kind of approaches them with care, and I, I really love what he's doing with it. I mean... Mandalorian feels like it's on its way to becoming a classic after just two seasons. I mean, this, it feels so epic already and only season two. And then, of course, we get the, the Boba Fett kind of thing in there, beautifully intertwined. And they just know how to use just enough of the massive mountain that Luke is left of, and they just take little pieces and carve it out and make it something new, keeping just enough of the old DNA that we kind of still recognize it, but really not letting some of those errors corrupt a new thing. I don't think we need a whole much more Luke. We need to keep Luke at a minimum here. Uh, they, they can't get crazy in season three and start putting Luke uh, all over the place because that would be a massive mistake. You know, Luke in that little small little dose, the way they did was just genius, I think. I mean, we had to know it was coming, you know. We we got potentially a, a offspring or a family member of Yoda running around. You think Luke wasn't going to pop up to do something? So I think that was that was beautiful. So everyone who asked me about how I felt about Mandalorian season two, yes, I did like it. And yes, I binged it in one day the way I do. And I think I got one more binge of it in me before I leave it alone. But I, I just thought it was really dope and I, I thought it was amazing.
so yeah, that's how I feel about that, everyone who asked and everyone who didn't ask. It got me thinking, like, as much as I think my ideas are dope and fresh and not better than everyone else's, but unique to my experience and the way I dream things up, it got me thinking, like, hey, could could I write, like, a Star Wars story? Like, could I write someone else's stuff? Can someone give me something their own? Could I, could I intervene and jump into someone else's project and lend a hand? Because I've never really thought about... I thought about building a team around me. I haven't really thought about becoming a part of a team so much. Like, I've acted like I am because, you know, when you're putting your work out there, a lot of times you, you have to present work that's not your own. The writing is yours, but when I say work, the work isn't yours because a lot of times you end up having to write scripts for shows that are already existing. You know, I, I brought this up before. And, you know, I, I, I did that with no real intention of it was more about just getting felt, getting people to feel my work. To my skill set. And yeah, I know I probably would have taken a job if I would have gotten them. But the real intent was like, all right, if this is what I have to do to be seen, all right, here's how we do it. I have to write an episode of some show and, you know, you know, I've written episodes of, I wrote an episode of Soprano once. I wrote an episode of, of Power, one of my least favorite shows. One of the I, I say I, I get a lot of flack for this. I, I, I say it's the, the worst show that I've ever seen that's popular. And I get a lot of hate for that. You know, I mean, power is really bad. And I actually wrote like a cool little episode where um, I actually had Ghost actually, um, how do you say actually being convicted of, of, of the murder and, and going to jail for life. I thought that would have done the show a whole bunch more justice. Then we would have had a reason for his son to become an outlaw criminal. I'm thinking like in that writer's room, because I'm sitting in a room right now. I'm on the 18th floor. And uh, one of the floors my company occupies where I work. And it looks very much like a writer's room. You know, it's set up that way, long table, chairs around it. And I'm like, we're sitting in this room. And we're going to say, hey, man, we're going to have this kid, Tariq, who's the son of, ghost son of, if you don't watch Power, then Google all this stuff. And we're going to say, hey, we're going to make this guy a criminal, even though he lives in a $20 million penthouse and in one of the most affluent neighborhoods in downtown Manhattan. He's going to become a street criminal just because they never really introduced any real catalyst for his change, anything. You know, the sister getting killed was weak. I thought that was corny. But I'm like, damn, what, what happens if they bring me into that room? Am I able to say that? Am I able to? I mean, I know I would have said it. I, I don't think they would have hired me if they wouldn't have really felt my ideas. It's not only the words on the page. You know, plenty of people could write dope sentences, right? They really hire you for the ideas. You know, you get a script editor to play with that. 
I mean, I wonder how many enemies I would have made in the writer's room, like tearing people's ideas down. And I mean, that, the intent isn't to tear the idea down. I would think that everyone in the room is competitive enough to feel that their ideas are great, even though we're a team. I mean, there has to be a little welcoming of arrogance in those kind of environments. It can't be like, oh yeah, like, you know, we all getting along, everybody's ideas are great. Everybody's idea isn't great. I'm thinking like, damn, am I gonna have to work for somebody else first? Am I gonna have to be out there and be in a writer's room and fight those battles and... Because unlike most, I, it's weird, like, you know, we all like validation and everything, but I don't really argue for validation. Like, I'll argue because I really feel like my point is valid. Like, I'm not going to be in a, in a writer's room and put a show on. It's like, no, nah, I really think, like, yo, this is the direction we should go. It won't be, it, it won't come, f <clears throat> belief in my abilities is where the arrogance lies, not really in the way I project it. And, and, you know, watching Star Wars really got me, Mandalorian, got me thinking about that. How, me being introduced into a ready-made thing. And how to survive in that until I'm able to just be the one at the front and it's all my thing. You know, with that, you know, that process, that journey I'm going to have to go through. Or am I going to really, really try as hard as I can to circumvent that and somehow jump to the front of the room? I think I'll have a lot of fun attempting that. I mean, I'm going to have fun either way. You know, I love writing. I, coming up with ideas has never really been an issue for me. I think that's why I chose science initially, because I, I figured being that I can imagine things, maybe I'll just build them. Right. That's, you know. Uh, that's where the, the, the NASA thing comes from, you know. That's where Star Wars helped me get. You know, I, these kind of discussions I really haven't had with, with many people. How do you feel about wanting to just be a part of a team? That's already established, like the team's already there, like, you know. You know, we're, we're coming in season three. They're bringing someone new in season three and they picked you. And maybe you really didn't want to be there for season three. You would have preferred to be there season one, but now you're there season three. See, this is very similar to what Favreau had to go through and that whole team that made Mandalorian had to go through. Yes, they're the head of a team, but the head is still Lucas. Like the, the blueprint is still laid by Lucas. So now we got to come in there and make our own thing out of something that already exists. You know, it's just an extension of Lucas 40 years later, 45 years later, 46 years later. Right? He's just not there in this room. You know, he, that job has been passed down and passed down and passed down through the writer's rooms. Now we're in a new kind of thing now. I wonder how I would function in that environment. I really do. I'm looking forward to it. The, the, which path I will take. Will I be able to 
you know, get around being at the middle of the table and be the one at the front of the table. And who knows which one suits me better, regardless of what I think. Till I'm there, I won't know what suits me better. Being at the middle of the table for a little while first so I could learn how to be at the front or, or if I already know how to be, you know. You know, but if you know me, you know where I'd rather be. Yeah, so that's the, that's what my thoughts have been since I've watched Mandalorian season two, how I felt about it. How I how it made me like look at myself and what I'm doing and what I'm trying to do. Yeah, I'm trying to create something. And I mean, technically, I've already created it. I could just the scripts are written. I have them there. You know, I touch them to improve. I have more stories to write, but I, I already created something like creation is there. But that's the cool thing about. Well, not cool. One of the odd things about being a writer, well, about being a screenwriter, because, you know, I could write a book and it's finished. It's done. There's nothing else. A script is a blueprint to another project. A project that I wasn't commissioned to be a part of. I'm the catalyst for this. That's what these all these screenwriters. That's what a screenwriter does most of the time. Starts a project that no one wants yet. Scary, isn't it? To a degree, especially someone in, in, in people in positions like me who like, yo, we're not in the game yet. You know, our names aren't on pieces of paper yet, you know. We're over here writing, being creative with no guarantee of anything. I hope that doesn't scare anybody away from the challenge, but it hasn't scared me away, but that's really what it is. And and one of the odd things about being a writer is you instantly get taken serious. I noticed that when I talk to people like who, who lately, when I tell them, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm looking to get into writing. I'm looking to quit everything and be a writer and just do that, only that. Just be a writer. And uh, other people who are in the same kind of mindset instantly respect you. And the people who aren't instantly respect you also. It's not, it's nowhere near similar to when you say you want to be a rapper or when you want to be an actor. Being a rapper right now is so much easier than becoming a paid screenwriter. Yet, they don't take anyone serious when someone comes to you and says, yeah, I want to be a rapper. No one has read anything I wrote, right? People could never have read anything I wrote. And I'm like, yeah, I'm a writer. They instantly think I'm good just because I say I am. Like, no one who isn't good wouldn't try to do it. Like you, no one even knows I'm any good. Oh, word, that is so dope, man. You're a writer. Oh, my God. I can't wait to see your stuff. Like, it's this assumption that I'm going to get on. It's a really odd phenomenon with writers. Whether you're a screenwriter or you write books. There's this feeling that there is no way you would try to do that if you weren't good.
the whole world's astonished. Like people are as are as enamored with people who can write well as they are with people who are good at math. Which is an incredible thing. I'm someone who, who grew up thinking, even though I was good at math, who thought writing was so difficult and hard, even while being good at it. It felt so much more laborious to me when I was a young person growing up messing with those words than it was the numbers. There's a lot of pressure on a writer in that way. Really is. From your like peer group or the people you're around. Oh, where you're a writer? Dope, man. Where's your stuff? They assume I'm already. Everything's in the works and everything's in production and everything's moving. But that's not the case. And I'm finding ways to make that work. And I get motivated every time motivated every time I turn the TV on, every time something like Mandalorian gets created. Or every time I see a manga adapted to a, an anime, I get motivated. Or every time I turn on Twitter and someone says, hey, here's my stuff, I wrote it. I, someone is reading it, someone is optioning it. I get motivated in those ways all the time. And this journey this year is gonna be really dope. Like there's gonna be a ride coming soon and I'm, I'm gonna be flying. And I'm gonna have very little time to sleep and very little time to be around people. And I think that's exactly what I want. That's what this top of this year is about. Like, the blueprint is starting now. I have all these plans. I have all these people I'm going to reach out to. I have all these people I'm going to talk to. And all these people I'm going to present to. And all these people I'm going to be competing against. I, I have no doubt in my mind there are just as many aspiring screenwriters as there are yeah, aspiring rappers. Trust me, they are. I'm becoming more immersed in the community and, and, and there's no lack of writers out there. There really isn't. You know, every, everyone who ever comes to me to, to fix their resume or to write a cover letter or to edit some essay for college that I've been doing for years has always treated me like some kind of savant. And I tell them, and, and no one ever believes me when I tell them, you know, writing is a, is, a, is a learned skill. It's not an innate ability. You know, independent clause, periods, punctuations, comma, you, you, you learn what goes, where the period goes. I mean, I don't use exclamation points, but, you know, you learn those simple rules and you can write sentences, you know. Even though writers know writing is more than sentences, but at the base you know, you learn the basics. You know, we write sentences, capital letter, you know, punctuation at the end. Sometimes the punctuation may have to go in the middle. You know, being able to put words together in a creative way is a talent, but just writing sentences is not this innate skill that everyone should be scared away from. You know, I, I encourage people to write more. Like one thing I don't ever do is write for someone. It's very rare I write for someone. I usually tell them to uh, write it first and then I'll edit it. And sometimes in that edit process, I'll end up writing it. 
but at least I put them through it. You know, I love writing so much, I try to get people to engage in the act also. You know, I, I, oh, as difficult as it is to sell a piece of writing, I never tell anyone that it's hard to write. I always tell them, like, yo, now you can do it too. Come on, now, yo, let me see what you got. No one believes me. They, all, they, they think, oh, my God. And you know what's the odd thing is there are things I'm better at than writing. There's tons of things I'm, I'm far better at than writing, but I just, the passion is there, and that's what I do, and that's what I'm going to do this year. I am totally dedicated to it. These last two years, I have been really locked in, really dedicated. I had to take that time, but I'm here now. And this is a new year, and the world is changing. Kind of at the normal speed it changes. People shouldn't exaggerate things. You know, the president changes every four or eight years. It's been like that for everyone who's alive now's life. Sometimes it's that side, sometimes it's your side running things. That's just how that goes. I got into a discussion the other day because this is, you know, I'm, I'm going to start being immersed in my writing a lot more. The podcast will start veering towards exactly what my work is about and the changes I've made to some of it. And some of them changes I've been pondering, like how much of the current climate do I incorporate? in my writing, subtle changes should I make, you know? And, I, and I, was, I was speaking to some other writers about this and they were talking about, do we incorporate coronavirus in our writing in some sort of way? And there was an executive, a producer who, who I was talking to, he was like, no one wants to see that. Should that stop me from writing it because a producer said no one wants to see that? I don't think it will either way or not, but I wonder how many people are being discouraged by that. See, you have to let your writing take you wherever it takes you, right? You know, you can incorporate coronavirus in, in, in your writing in, in a thousands of ways. You know, people are wearing masks. People are not wearing masks. People get into an argument about a mask. You start seeing the streets more empty. You start seeing outside dining. You can incorporate it very easily without being overly preachy about it or, or without making the story about it. Because if you're writing a story about reality and you set it current times, the current times deal with corona and racism and violence against women and all of those things. So I don't know why anybody wouldn't just let it, if it happens naturally, you know. I, I'm, not, I'm not big into, like, changing the concept of a story and then, you know, trying to get it to fit in a box because you think that might be the hot thing going on now. I wouldn't go that far. But if you're writing a story, let's say, you know, I'm writing a family drama that takes place current time in New York. I don't know how I wouldn't mention coronavirus in some way, in, in, in real subtle ways, which is what I'm planning on doing anyway. I mean, there are some subtle changes I'll make that I think kind of fit the tone of the story already. So then it will be kind of seamless and it won't feel out of place. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. You know, I push back on that idea too of like, no one wants to see that. 
I don't know if you can write knowing what someone wants to see. Excuse me, in this kind of work that I'm doing, I'm writing original stories to make a show. If I'm doing an adaptation, then I understand you can't incorporate coronavirus so easily. That I know. You know, if, you know, we're making a Captain America movie or something, or, you know, we're redoing Wizard of Oz again. You know, or, you know, it, it might work in Born Identity. You know, you could, you know, have a spy drama where we're, the, the whole espionage thing where they're trying to poison the whole world for, you know, some sort of uh, population control. You could throw that in a little Bond, in a Bond movie or some kind of spy movie adapted. You could do it there. There, I think you could probably pull it off and have some fun with it in a way that it doesn't come off overly campy. Because sometimes I enjoy campiness. Sometimes material takes itself too serious and then, you know, kind of like Lovecraft. Um, what's that story? The Lovecraft story on HBO? It, it's a fun story. It's really nice. But I think it kind of took the material a little too serious. And there are these kind of ebbs and flows that kind of these tonal switches that I think happened too swiftly that kind of made the show a little, a little unenjoyable once I got, you know, four episodes in. But hey, that's me. You know, so like, will coronavirus infect my writing? I'm pretty sure it will in some way. In a way that I think won't lend itself to being overly criticized for it being there. I mean, I write New York stories, like I've said before. I'm a New Yorker. I write about New York. I write about people in New York. And since the very, very early stages of my writing, everything I've ever written has been in New York, set in New York, because I love New York. I love my city. I love the environment. Visually, it's just a beautiful place to be, to shoot, with all the garbage and graffiti and dog droppings. And I mean, if, you, if you're a New Yorker, like, I, I really don't like eating outside, like in summertime, how they have us eating outside. But, you know, now outdoor dining is all the rage because New York smells so bad, especially in the summer. Ugh. So I, I, I wasn't eating out there when it really ever was rare, especially with that sun beating on you. I'm allergic to UV rays, so I don't get too much sun. So if I'm set in New York and we're walking down the streets, it's going to be pretty difficult because it's tough to go a block in Manhattan, at least, without seeing some kind of outdoor dining structure. So how could I ignore that and not have it be an aspect of what the story is? It'd be silly. That's the thing I think something all writers really need to address. Like when you're like, if I'm writing a story in New York in the 1920s, there's really no reason to avoid sexism and racism if I'm writing a story in New York City in the 1920s. Why would I avoid coronavirus? Why would I avoid writing about social injustice or incorporating it in some way in your writing? If you're writing a piece that, a story if, the, if the, of a picture you're trying to paint, those topics just can't help 
can only help. There's no reason to omit reality from reality. Now, if you're writing some kind of romantic comedy or something that, you know, certain topics don't lend themselves, you're not going to, no reason to throw that in there, but I don't. I don't know how any drama set in a big city that's being written right now doesn't talk about what's currently happening right now. You have to write from your perspective, and that's what I write from. I really do write from my perspective. Unless I'm being overly creative and I'm writing some kind of, you know, some of the other type stories that I write. But, you know, any kind of family drama, just kind of human storytelling drama that's taking place currently needs to incorporate them things. I think it's, it's irresponsible not to. And we shouldn't be forced to avoid those topics, you know. Art has to imitate life. I, I really believe in that idea. So that's really what, you, what my writing is going to, especially Elephant's Walk. Elephant's Walk, without question, Elephant's Walk and the, the romantic comedy I'm working on, or like I said, I write for New York, they're going to heavily feel like products of the times. They just will. They just will. Like I, I just, I can't avoid it and I can't escape that. I can't escape incorporating those things because they're, they're important. They're a part of me. Like There's a piece of me in every character I write, even the female ones. There is. I remember early on in my writing, I don't know if anybody else does this, but sometimes you, you picture yourself as the lead in the story you're writing. And I remember some of my early, early stories that I wrote and, and, and early drafts of a lot of things, whoever I perceived as the lead, because once you're done and read it back, Sometimes you don't even realize kind of the Easter eggs you put in there. I would have all of what I would consider the cool lines coming from the lead. And like my periphery characters were really weak early on. Even though I wrote good plot stories, the, the, the characterization was incredibly weak. And people who would read my stuff, they were like, it's good. And they couldn't put their finger on what made it feel dull? Like, you know, the words were good, the writing was good, but that, there's something dull about it. And I, and I became a more robust writer when I started parceling out some of the themes that I wanted. And I didn't just use one character to project all of the themes and all of the, the, the messages that I wanted to give. Because I, I, I truly feel every, every piece I've ever written, there's, there's philosophy of the person intertwined in it. There just is. That's why you don't, you don't judge any art by just good and bad. As soon as you know who did it, you begin, your, your frame of reference completely changes and you start judging it on a different level the more you know about the creator. You know, as I, I go back to hip hop, you know, keeping it real. I mean, one of the great arguments you'll get in any kind of hip hop discussion, especially in a barber shop, is if someone says what does what they said in their raps. I've matured past that argument, even though I'll get dragged in it on occasion, you know? Like imagine if 50 Cent was a herb. Like imagine if 50 Cent really got smacked around and bullied. If, if, <laughs> how would you feel about his music? Like, you know, so it's the same thing with writers. I think it's the same thing with any creator, you know? Like, imagine if Madonna really wasn't 
doing her thing, singing the song she sang. Or Rihanna, you know? Imagine if, if Beyonce wasn't married singing the types of songs she sings. It takes on a whole different meaning, right? So, like, when you read my work or when, when I read anybody's work, you're going to know the person. And people are going to get to know me through my writing when you read it. And that's really what, what the goal is. Maybe we make a connection between me and my writing, and then we become connected even if we never met through my work. Because that's really how I view this thing. Like, you know, yes, I'm a writer, and I want to have write television shows and maybe movies one day. You know, that, that dream has switched. You know, first it was movies, and now I've gone to television shows because I, I feel like I could have a more robust output and get deeper into some of the concepts that, that are near and dear to me. And um, I think that's why I chose this writing path. I think, you know, to reach people more, I think. I'm not quite sure yet. Because I'm definitely not doing it because I'm good at it, because I'm better at some other things. So next part, I mean, I'm gonna, I don't know. I'm going to try to come out. I'm, I, I got to stop saying I'm going to try to come out every week. I'm recording this on a Friday, and I'm pretty sure I usually drop the same day I record things. I don't even double back and listen to see if there's any errors or any kind of skipping kind of things. So the, most, most of you guys are hear this before I do, even though you know, I don't really listen back. I just put it out as soon as I'm done recording. But yeah, you know, 2021 is going to be about you know, more writing samples some more adjustments to, to, to some older stuff. I know some people are against contests. I kind of fell out with them, but I don't know. I feel like getting my stuff out there will be good anyway. You never know who's going to read it. So I'm, I, I, I'll give, I'll, I'll, next time I record, I'll definitely have a list of what contests I'm going to be entering and why. Um, any kind of uh, writing fellowship that I'm going to apply for next episode. I'm pretty sure I'm going to talk about that. And we're going to talk about the adjustments I've made to the pilot of Elephant's Walk. Because I've made some adjustments to it because I finally got my machine after seven weeks I got my computer. So I'm definitely going to talk about some of the adjustments I made to Elephant's Walk. Because there, there, there are some since, because Elephant's Walk now, I think the pilot the last edit I made of Elephant's Walk might have been, yeesh, I don't know, maybe 15 months ago, right? Since I touched the pilot. Some, you know, the, the, the preceding episodes I, I've dealt with, but the pilot, I really, and I can't really, you know, time's changed a little bit since I wrote it, so then there's some adjustments I have to make there, and which I've already mapped out, and, you know, it's all internal, and... I've, I've had some fun making those adjustments. I think the story will be more robust because of those adjustments. And I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm a believer in like things kind of happen at the right moments it's the, with myself. You know, anytime I've ever rushed myself, I've kind of dropped the ball. Right? Like I, like, I feel like I have an instinct of when something's my time. And, you know, I will ride my instincts, you know. Everyone who knows me knows I trust myself more than I trust anyone else. And I trust that I'm, I'm, I'm right on time on this thing. 
And it's going to be dope sharing it with you guys, with all the listeners. And um, of course, I think I'm, I've, I've gone over my lunch break because I'm recording on my lunch break. But, you know, I welcome all the questions. By now, everybody knows where to find me. I'm findable. And um, I'm, I'm open to all arguments. Arguments are good things, you know. We can call them the other word, debate. You know, debate, argument, whatever you want to call it. Whatever makes you feel better. I'm down for all of it. So we can talk about my work, someone else's work, or your work. And um, I'll see you sooner than later. That I guarantee. One. <laughs>